Hey, hey, all you Arizona lovers, this is the Finding Arizona podcast, episode number 250. I'm your host, Jose. Thank you so much for listening. Today's guest is the owner and flight uh, pilot for Sula Aerials. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm glad to have on the show Todd Moens, and he is someone who is very special and very unique for what he does. And so we were so glad to have him on the show and share what he has been experiencing with a pandemic going around and just being such a unique um, operator and owner. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. We're going to jump into a little bit of the business side. You can hear every episode of our podcast at our website, findingarizonapodcast.com. We make it easy for you guys to connect with us. So if you have someone you want to be on the episodes, you want to do it yourself, just send us a line over at findingarizonapodcast at gmail.com. There we will set you up with scheduling and there we hope that you guys will be enjoying uh, the time that it takes to get in here and the time that it takes to get to know us and all of that in between. We're very excited to f- for new people to come on board and uh, two things for you guys to check out on the website. The blog is little bit more of the personal side so the blog will tell you everything that's going on with Brittany and I personally that is going to be talking about parenthood uh, talking about what we're doing with our house talking about all the stuff that goes into being an owner and operator of a podcast but there is a newsletter also if you just want the official going ons of the podcast so who's coming up next what's going on in the community that is all available at a newsletter that you can sign up for last but not least if you want to become a super fan and you're interested in bonus content patreon.com slash finding arizona podcast there you will receive a chance to sign up for one of the tiers and enjoy the pod uh, the extra bonus episodes that come along with it so I encourage you guys to go check that out. Patreon.com slash Finding Arizona Podcast. Today is Saturday, August 8th. I am very tired because this morning I actually participated in a virtual 10K. So I'm just, you know, struggling to make this weekend uh, get to, you know, just recover from what I just went through. And just all, all in all, I'm very excited to say that I finished it and that I am uh, OK. But uh, overall, I am very tired. So let's just jump into a podcast, right? Episode number two. 250 with the owner and operator and flight pilot of Sula Aerials. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Todd Moens, I will catch you on the next episode. What is it you do and why do you do it? Here at Finding Arizona Podcast, we love to showcase that. And so do our friends at Every Impression Counts. They offer free strategy consultations so you can envision the possibilities for your business or idea, such as websites, social media management, paid advertising like the top of Google along with advertising on Facebook, Instagram, Snap, video production, photography, podcasting, SEO, blogging, analytics, and so much more. In today's world, it's never been so cost-effective to produce and distribute content with the tools that you have at your disposal. If you've ever thought, what if, just have a combo with my friends at Every Impression Counts. You can find them at eic.agency or check out what they're up to by following them on Instagram and Facebook at Every Impression Counts and tell them Finding Arizona Podcast sent you.
Looks like we're ready to go. Welcome back, everybody, to the Finding Arizona podcast. I'm your host, Jose. As always, we bring in someone very special, and today is no different. Coming in for a second time, it just <laughs> happens that way, but I love having, I love that the, you are well-equipped enough to join us back here in the studio through virtually online and through Zoom call. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, the owner and founder of Sula Aerials, uh, Mr. Todd, welcome. Hi there. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to jump back on and have a good conversation with you. I enjoyed our last conversation. So absolutely, um, yeah. I'm looking forward to it. So one of the first questions that I'm asking everyone now is um, being COVID such a big prevalent part of our lives. Um, how are you doing? How is the family? How are you staying safe? You know, are you, uh, are you staying safe, you know, being where you're at and all of the things? How are you doing lately? Yeah, uh, doing doing better now. I mean, right when it all started, I mean, it hit pretty hard. Like I had a lot of my clientele yeah. just go, hey, I, I can't have you around. I need to follow. I don't know what's happening. Like, it's just, they wanted to stay safe. And I totally understand that. So yep. it was something that I just kind of had to, to pivot my business a little bit um, and learn from and just find other opportunities. Um, but now as, as things have been going on for a while, mm-hmm. um, Opposed to the last time I talked to you, things have been slowly picking up. So it's actually been not too bad. That's good. That's good to hear. You know, one of the things that I find very interesting is just kind of the cause and effect of a lot of things. You know, this being one of the biggest part, it has so many effects throughout the community and throughout different, you know, uh, venues and different, you know, business, all of that. Um, So it's kind of, it's good to hear what uh, owners are going through. Mm. Uh, Just one of the things that I want to pick up for you, um, can you give us a little bit of what your brand and what your company is about and then give us a little bit about how you've had to pivot and had to change a couple of things now that you've, or if you've had to change anything due to recent events. Sure. Yeah. So uh, Sula Aerials, um, we're a photo scan company and we capture real world locations um, that uh, real world locations, objects and turning them into mixed reality for 3D. um, So people can experience them in all sorts of applications. Um, but we also are an aerial cinematography company and photography. Mm-hmm. And through that over, like through requests, we've been able to go th- into the teaching side. We've been into all sorts of uh, schools, um, nice. STEM events. And then that's how I got to meet you. Yeah, awesome. yeah. Yeah, just kind of <clears throat> behind the scenes kind of stuff that you, I've already taken one of your 101 classes. And it was very fun for me to go out there and just kind of, hang out with you and ask some questions and just kind of get to know uh, the the nuances of having your own uh, drone and just, you know, what it kind of entails and the, how to maintain them, you know, other categories of, um, you know, if I want to get paid commercially, all that stuff you've answered in that one-on-one class, which mm. I was very excited to, to Fantastic. Learn. I'm glad, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And it was awesome to to experience that with you and to help you guys and I yeah. hope to bring you into the community even more. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm very much like excited to, to dive in a little bit deeper too with you because there's so sure. many more questions that I've had um, since then. And so, you know, one of the great things about what you do, like you said, you do a lot of um, you know, 
picture taking and video taking. And so one of the great things that you were, you know, you and I were discussing is kind of like taking those um, videos and transforming them into kind of augmented reality and 3D reality for you. Uh, Can you give us because I know, I already know what you mastered in or what you got your degree in. Can you give people information on what your specialty is and what you went to school for? Yeah, um, I went to school for computer animation. It was a, a passion of mine to take um, what I was doing. Like, actually, originally I started doing graphic design. And then mm-hmm. from that, I kind of wanted to push the skills. And, I, and then when I was seeing different movies, I was like, ooh, the special effects and 3D. Yeah. And what, so I went to school for that. And over the time, over time, I've taken that into motion graphics for clients, 3D, and then um, more recently in the last several years, getting into photogrammetry, photo scanning, which mm-hmm. is the basically capturing the real world environments um, through pictures and then turning it into 3D. It's it's what the industry uses in the film industry as well as the gaming industry yep. when they want to bring in models, um, characters, locations. It's really exciting and, and a lot of fun. Yeah, I can imagine too. I mean, I remember, do you remember your very first uh, uh, visual effect that you were like, wow, like it blew you away when you were younger because you didn't really understand visual effects? What was like the very first movie visual effects that kind of like took your, blew your head back? Oh my goodness, there has been so many. That's a good question. (laughs) Um, I mean, gosh, even going all the way back to the simple of of Toy Story. Oh, yeah. um, When Toy Story came out to see a 3D character portray emotion Mm -hmm. and you're connected to them. It was like, oh, okay, this is not just an animated character. This is even more. Yeah, there's so much nuance into this little like this toy that comes to life and it's just, it, it blows me away that, um, you know, you, I don't know if you've seen some of the Disney plus, uh, behind the like documentaries, but mm-hmm. we go into detail about the history of some of the anim- animation guys who, um, went to school out in Berkeley and all the other California schools. And then, um, you know, came in, uh, helping out, you know, uh, Disney with certain, like, you have one criteria of the guys who did the cartoon animations, like that's one category. Mm-hmm. And then you, you kind of sp- spawn into like 3D computer animation uh, later in the years. And it was just a beautiful transition between the, the groups and just kind of how they, how they, how the younger guys looked up to the older guys and wanted to take what they love, which is the animation style and the cartoon style and bring it into a new reality and bring it to a new, you know, modern day times and just the love between the two uh, generations. Oh yeah. I mean, I I watched several of those. It's really exciting to watch that. And actually that's kind of the core when you're at school is you need to learn traditional animation before you can jump into 3D. Uh, Traditional animation is actually just hand drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and one of the things that they wanted you to do was uh, create emotion for an uh, inanimate inanimate object, if I'm saying that correctly. Um, And what I had chose was a pillow. Okay. And then moved a pillow around. So it would actually like the, it's, it was similar. What's the the best way? It was similar to the feeling uh, that you would get if you've ever seen the movie Aladdin um, of the Mm. carpet and how it doesn't have to talk or anything, but it still can portray emotion. So we had to do something similar and I used a pillow and it was just crazy to see what you can do once you learn the skill sets um, to portray emotion through really anything. 
That's really cool because I kind of I kind of take that into what Pixar did with their lamp that that the intro lamp where oh, yeah, like yeah. Their, that was their very first like animation piece was that bouncing and then it just jumps on the eye of the Pixar and it's just yes it's a, yes. it's an original cartoon that they first made back in the early days and it was just it's a it's a beautiful like taking a student like taking a project like that and just kind of molding it as part of your criteria as for your goals of who you guys want to become who like mm-hmm. what the Pixar wanted to become so I thought that was really cool yeah absolutely I actually even caught co- I went through outside of the bouncing ball side I copied that just to see if I could do it to learn nice. um, I mean if you can copy a master and it just helps you get better as you do that and it absolutely was that, it was super exciting so love, yeah, I love to do that animation. And I've <laughs> yeah. actually used that for a client of mine. Uh, well, that was probably like 16, 17 years ago though. So. Wow. <laughs> so let me let me ask you this. What has been the most prevalent thing now for, you, for Sula? What do you guys typically, like what has been the main project for you guys when it comes to uh, like a stable piece for you guys that you do day in and day out that's pretty easy for you guys to turn out? Pivoting, actually, a part of it has been pivoting my business. Um, I was actually capturing more uh, material for like construction sites, uh, mm-hmm. turning some of their sites into 3D. Okay. And then um, that was one of the things that slowed down. Um, but also I do have a um, event business, event, mm-hmm. uh, which is Sula Studios. Nice. Um, and that all, a lot of those clients actually went um, away. That's just because you're dealing with a lot more people. But with the pivoting side of it, um, got into capturing like historic locations. Mm-hmm. Um, was out in Colorado and not sorry, Colorado. Actually, I just was in Colorado. I just got back like three days ago. But that's not what I was trying to say. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're fine. Um, you're fine. It was uh, Utah a couple of weeks ago. I was in Utah and I was traveling around through there and um, was able to capture uh, some petroglyphs, some ruins, um, as well as went into uh, Kodachrome State Park um, for Utah. And they have their Grand Parade, um, which is these massive sandstone spires that they have. Wow. And they wanted to per- turn that into uh, 3D. Um, and then make it into a printable object. And so I've actually been in the process of doing that. Actually, I got my sample, which is a really small sample, which I don't know if you can see. Oh, I can see it. Wow. So this is all like, this is, but it's basically about a half mile by a hundred feet scale all the way down. Yeah. Um, So flew all of that with the drone, uh, took a bunch of pictures and then turned that into 3D and mm-hmm. then being able to now uh, do 3D printing. And that's kind of the, the future of not just the AR side of it, augmented reality side of it, but being able to turn anything into 3D. Yeah. And that was one of the things that got me when meeting you was um, just kind of understanding that it's not typically even a solo mission. A lot of the times you, you were introducing me into guided missions where you're doing tool two people and kind of uh, you brought that to my attention that a lot of the times too in the film industry, they do a two man crew where one's operating the camera and then the other one is flying. Uh, I thought that was very unique, but you deal with a lot of solo missions, which I find very incredible, but that's due to your own experience and just having to facilitate um, that for yourself. So can you kind of give us a little bit more detail and like why you choose to fly uh, one man missions and what kind of skills that you in particular have to 
to go through. Um, Cause I know that we talked about like, if you don't reference where North is, or you don't remember, like you can get tossed and turned around a little bit. On the sure. Controllers. Sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely um, I've been a solo pilot um, for the last three and a half, almost four years. Mm-hmm. Um, I, um, was when we were talking about dual man missions, actually my inspire two, which is by DJI, it actually ha- um, has the ability to do two operators, which is the way a lot of people fly it. So one person is the pilot of the drone, which has a camera. So you can actually see where, where the drone's going. And then you have another camera on it, um, that shoots in 5.2 K up to 6 K, um, okay. video that another person can actually can control. So when you're doing really complicated missions um, and you really, I mean, when you're on set, you are and you're flying, mm-hmm. you want to make sure that absolutely nothing goes wrong. Really, you want to do that every time, but <laughs> yeah. you want to make sure nothing goes wrong. So to have two operators on it is just so much uh, safer in that. But for me, a lot of what I'm doing is I have been um, out, not necessarily around a lot of people. So by able, being able to fly solo um, um, and teaching myself to fly more solo, um, it's just giving me more flexibility. I don't need to make sure that I have another uh, operator. When it comes to Sula aerial side, um, mm-hmm. I don't have another person that's full-time on staff. And so then I would actually subcontract them out. Um, which gives me uh, not not as much flexibility as I do when I can do it myself. So Mm -hmm. I've really spent a lot of time being able to produce a lot of the dual man setup um, or uh, product uh, from one person. Every year, 23 and a half million people go undiagnosed from a sleeping disorder. This includes military veterans and our first responders. Sleep labs and services can cost $3,500 with insurance and take two and a half months on average to complete. If only there was a company that could make the process of being diagnosed more affordable, more comfortable, and more convenient for all. There is. Introducing TaylorMade Sleep Services, an online-based platform that educates, treats, and coaches patients. The process costs $350 for a telemed consultation, an expedited delivery of a home unit, a final telemed consultation, treatment options, and prescriptions. In less than two weeks, you'll be on your way to better sleep. Visit them today at tailormadesleep.com. Got it. What, uh, for you, what has been kind of the under, I guess the sneaky kind of challenges that most people wouldn't understand with, uh, when it comes to this kind of business and what you have been able to overcome? Uh, well, I mean, there's, when it comes to the drone industry, as, as, you, as I was teaching you, there's a lot that's involved. It's not just buying a drone and then getting on the sticks and taking off even though people still do that. Um, legally, if you want to fly for commercial use, um, basically anything that you're going to make money from, um, you need to get a 107 license. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you need to follow all of the rules, regulations. Um, you need to learn about airspace, weather. Um, and there's just a lot of little things that you need to, to know. Um, 400 feet is our max you know, max limit, um, AGL, which is above ground, lem- okay. above ground level. Um, but if you are flying over a building or something, you can go above that. But then you start getting into a lot of other complications um, that you just need to learn that you're flying safe. You don't want to hurt anybody. You don't want to be um, in the way of any other aircraft, mm-hmm. um, whether it's another drone or even um, fixed wing with people in it. So uh, there's a lot. 
Yeah. I, and there's a lot of like, you know, little things to just kind of remember. And like you said, um, you had brought up the uh, intention of like the 400 feet above, but now you're also dealing with like, uh, when you, what you do with the commercial side, you're also remembering, you know, uh, on and off site, um, you know, property lines and things like that. And having to remember where, you know, certain areas are permitted and not permitted. It's just really little nuances to having your own commercial license is just kind of, it's, it's incredible how much detail that you have to remember on your own, let alone not only operating and owning the drone that is partaking in the takeoff and, and landing part of it. So it's just like, it's amazing to meet someone like yourself because you have a kind of a whole routine and you were talking to me about it when we took the classes, kind of having this startup, end scenario like when you start up you have to have like a checklist and then the same mm -hmm. thing when happens when you when you land and when you descend too uh can you give us a little bit of understanding of that startup yeah so basics um is when i'm starting up i make sure that all my batteries are full when i turn it on i'm going to check my um actually my voltage levels not just push on the button and see if the battery shows that it's full because sometimes it's not i've had two times where it hasn't um, been full when i've taken off yeah. even though it, it said it was um so you check the levels on that um i'm always checking the airspace to make sure i can take off and land as well as wherever you're at with the, some cities have different regulations um, and where you can take off where you can't as well as on private properties. Um, so some, sometimes you can't do that. But um, one of the things I think when you were, we were talking was uh, when I take off, I'm always taking off with the drone orientation facing away from me. Yeah. Um, and the reason for that is when you're using the, the sticks on the right stick that controls basically forward and back and then left and right. Mm -hmm. um, it's that when you take off and you push forward, it actually goes forward. When you're flying and you actually turn around and if the drone's facing away from you and you don't realize that and you push forward, it's gonna come right at you. Um, <laughs> everything is the opposite. So it's a lot of, um, uh, muscle memory and, and training your brain mm -hmm. to, to think differently. So when you're flying, but once you get into it, it kind of just comes a well, second nature to an extent. It's kind of like riding a bike, mm -hmm. but, um, but to get better and better and to really fly smooth, you need a lot of time, um, on the sticks or on the controller. I call it, I call them the sticks. So yeah. 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 Uh, the other thing that kind of fascinates me now too is is going towards more of the uh, virtual side again and and understanding kind of um, when it comes to augmented and virtual reality. There's been a lot of uh, new filming uh, techniques that have been used, especially when it comes to, I don't know if people are um, watching and maintaining like uh, Lucas films and, and their new show Mandalorian. They oh, yeah. just, they just took on a new filming style or kind of an update to a filming style was generating um, a kind of a picturesque skyline. And then they built the set uh, below like whatever they were trying to film for the day or, uh, and then this kind of like dome, like it's just really unique and it's, it's really interesting, but I don't know any mm -hmm. kind of new technology as far as the VR and AR for you that you're kind of playing around with or getting excited about. 
So some of that, not necessarily from the filming perspective, but what I'm creating is actually what could be used for film industries. Mm -hmm. um, you can actually put it on their screen for like with the Mandalorian um, yes. and actually taking that. They're using a gaming engine, normally Unreal or the, the um, gaming engine Unreal for sure was one yeah, or, or Unity, ones. but. Unreal is, seems to be the one that, from what I'm finding, more people are using for that. And I mean, it's incredible um, that you don't need to put somebody on a green screen and key that out or basically yeah. remove the green. Um, you're able to do a lot better. Um, it, it, the color, there's just so many more things that can be done by having screen and that color cast that you don't have to fake so much more in post-production or when they're editing. Yeah. So it's really exciting. But, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a lot that can be done. I mean, I could go and something that I've actually thought about doing and I haven't done is going and talking to um, where they actually shoot a lot of sets like down in Tucson, Arizona um, okay. or other places that they shoot sets and turning those into 3D models. Um, so then they actually have a virtual set that they can put into a computer, into a game engine and do a lot of that same, uh, that same stuff that they're doing in Mandalorian. Yeah. Um, another thing they could do would be to, um, use it for pre-production. So if they're actually planning shots uh, for a movie and they don't actually want or don't have the ability to go out on set, but they have a 3D model of that, that mm -hmm. even a location can provide, um, they'll be able to go through and plan everything out before they even get there and yeah. have a lot clearer direction um, and be able to communicate that with the director, with lighting, with everybody else, the grips, you know. Yeah. All. And so there's a lot. Yeah, I know for uh, the animation side for them, um, just recently they were doing uh, Clone Wars and they used the real-time engine for pre-production for fight scenario. For one of the last uh, episodes, there was a huge fight, a lightsaber battle, but they used the game engine to kind of uh, plan out the fight because they've already had the the kind of where they wanted to be. They just use the real-time game engine camera to kind of map out and kind of go around the whole stage and kind of map out how they were going to fight throughout the whole different staging area and then key up where they want them to be and, and where the camera should be um, after the they've found the views that they wanted. Mm -hmm. I thought that was really interesting. It's really exciting. You're like saving technology. time, uh, you know, frustration, uh, you know, you know, exactly you're just all around, you're, you're being safer and just all around being better at what you're doing. Oh, absolutely. And there's, there's a lot more, I mean, when, and when you have a, uh, not a director, but well, director, but really the, um, the actor actress that's actually having to interact when they're not ha being able to interact with an actual environment, mm -hmm. um, they're have to, having to interact with the green screen. And when they're looking out and they're basically pretending that they're in this make-believe place or whatever it is that, um, it's harder for them to act, but when they can actually see an environment that was created, <laughs> that it's going to be like, Oh, it's just incredible. And you see that come through the performances. So yeah. um, there's so much happening in the industry. It's exciting. Yeah. It just, it excites me. Yeah. Overall, because it's a better um, at the end of the day, it's better for the audience too to feel like the real life fear and everything that becomes real to the actors because of all of the pre-production and everything that goes into it. I think that that overall just helps everyone enjoy the, the, the overall um, after effect of it. So, oh, yeah. 
I mean, you have, you have seen it. I mean, you have been a part of it. And so I'm, I'm so encouraged by what's out to come. Um, I want to also ask you what kind of things do you kind of keep yourself, um, I guess, more excited about what you do too. I mean, there's levels of the technology exciting us, but do you, do you still go out and like do aerial tricks and still have fun with your drones? Oh, I'm constantly like, if I'm not doing something for work for a client, Mm -hmm. um, I am on the road capturing and that's actually what I did this, uh, earlier this week. Um, so I actually left a Saturday, Sunday and came back Thursday and I went to Colorado. Um, I wanted to capture a bunch of, um, photo and video content as well as some photographers that I met. Um, okay. on one of my previous trips, they were actually there too. So I got to meet Sweet. up with them and we were talking about different options and they're looking to put together a YouTube channel and I'm looking together, to put together a YouTube channel. Um, so there's just a lot of, uh, great connections that you can meet on the road. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm constantly, I mean, even today it's like, Oh, it's really hot right now. I can't just go out and fly, uh, limitations with the heat, uh, mm-hmm. with your drones. Um, especially in Arizona. Oh yeah. But, um, yeah, I've actually been putting together a, a short film, um, an aerial film that I did of Utah and I'm almost done with that. And then I've been, nice. um, being able to capture, uh, footage of, um, um, Colorado and being able to talk about that. Uh, that's kind of another thing that I want to do is not just do like I did with you with a personal like one-on-one, but to be able to have a virtual experience where you can mm-hmm. have a lesson and you can actually go through and I, you can learn all the different things that I taught you, but even get into more advanced as well as yeah. um, uh getting into like the nuances of cinematography of what cameras can do framing ISO shutter. You mean so many things. So that's another thing that, yeah, I'm, I just am always excited to get out and fly and have a camera in my hand and experience this amazing world through, through a camera. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you had mentioned the, you know, the heat and one of the things that I'm kind of curious about is, um, but the heat comes, you know, dry f- the, the, the canyon fires and the fires all around um, different areas throughout Arizona. Have you seen any drones pick up data or start to um, collect data with the fires and how they are used? Because I think that for some drones, too, they're not only used for imagery, but they're there to collect data of, about the fire as well. And I don't know any much more than that. I don't know what kind of data they would collect or anything with that. Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the drone industry, I mean, when people originally think about drones, they think about photo and video and that's how they're used a lot. Um, but that's not actually their primary application. Um, like when it comes to the creative industry, there's a ton of other um, industries that are using them. Um, but particular to what you're talking about when it comes to fire. I haven't personally seen one um, working firsthand. I've talked to people that have worked in the fires using drones. Um, And one of the gentlemen that I had met, um, it was back East um, camp spacing on his name. But what he was saying is that when they would take a drone up, they actually are using thermography um, or basically can see heat. um, And when it's up in the air, they would actually fly at night. A lot of times when um, the pilots 
of the ones that are dropping either the water or the fire retardant or whatever it is, they would want to capture everything at night, what had been burned, what hadn't been burned. Mm-hmm. If places that were, they thought they had put out, they could actually go and look at it with a thermal camera and okay. see if there was still a heat signature there. Um, so it. if they needed to come and put it out even further, they could do that. Um, but they can also use the mapping side is another way that they're using it, which is taking a bunch of photos, kind of like uh, it's, this, it's, it would be closest to a Google Earth view top down, which is an ortho. It's uh, what you're producing is an ortho mosaic, um, but shooting from top down, taking hundreds, if not thousands of photos and stitching them all together. Um, And now you're able to take measurements off of those uh, to see, you know, how many square miles or acres or whatever it was that actually burned. They used to have to do that traditionally um, by walking around the fire and Mm. finding out how much square footage or not square footage, typically acreage that was burnt um, and taking something that was three to four hours to have to do. Now they can do it in typically under an hour um, and do everything with even higher quality data. That's where kind of the data collection for percentile burned, like, you know, this is, or how many percentages is, um, is covered or like how much they've, you know, pushback and things like that. That's where mm-hmm. all that comes from. Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. They're, and, and they're able to get a lot, um, a lot higher quality uh, now. I mean, they would walk around with just a, you know, a handheld GPS and go around and then they have to do a bunch of math to find surface. And then you'd have to get, you know, basically going back to math class, learning about surfaces, yeah. <laughs> surface area measurements and everything. The drones can actually do um, a lot of that for you using the latest technology. Cool. So, you know, overall, I'm just trying to get out that there are so many different pieces to the drone uh, lifestyle that you can go down um, through different fields and different criterias and whatnot. But, you know, overall, it's just incredible to kind of see how many uh, or how much use that we get out of these drones in either data collection or creativity. Um, And like you said, there's so many nuances to it that you just, you know, so many great things that come out of it. And it's incredible that I got to meet you because I mean, we just met in passing and just incredible, like that we got to share our stories together. So I got one last question for you. It's like our little big question is just really uh, what's your hope for Sula and what's the overall goal or dream for you guys? One big project that you probably hope to get one day or anything that you as an owner that you wish that, uh, or you want people to know about Sula, it's, it's your chance to just, give a, a big yeah. idolizing. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I mean, it's been, it was great to meet you and I hope to continue conversations with you in the future and, um, and, and a friendship. Um, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> for Sula Aerials, um, really a couple things would actually, the future for Sula Aerials would be a couple things would be to continue to refine our craft and capture and preserve, uh, which is one of my passions is historical locations. Uh, making them into AR, VR, um, as well as the the 3D printing and and to have people be able to see a location um, for educational purposes is is huge. Um, The other thing would just be, would be to educate and inspire um, people for about drone technology Hmm. um, and 
giving more people a hands-on experience and getting them in their hand and seeing that there is, they're fun to fly, but there's a lot of other opportunities that you can do with the drone, um, as well as to create on online, more online courses, um, mm-hmm. or not more online courses, but online courses once I get, once I get done with them and be able to have them. Um, yeah. And then just to continue to have fun flying. Yeah, flying absolutely. And meet new people like you. Thank you so much. Again, Todd, you are someone that I, I really do get to admire just a little bit because you have such a, a an indoor-outdoor lifestyle where it's like you're, the indoor part is just being able to use a computer and generate these creativity uh, just in very visually stunning pieces that um, not only fulfill you with your eyes and with your mind, but it's just overall, they're, they're just great pieces that can give back to someone and their culture um, with your preservation side. Uh, yeah. The other part of it, your outdoor lifestyle, man, I, I would love to go hiking with you one day and just kind of see how you do what you do. Uh, just overall i just really think that what you do is incredible sula is just one of those places that i hope people go and enjoy and can come to you and and rely on you on uh, a lot of projects in the future so again we're reaching the end here so let this is your time to promote yourself again let everyone know where they can find you online all your social media handles this is your promotion time go right ahead todd Thank you, Jose. Um, you can, the, the best way to reach me would be on the website um, at Sula Aerials, S-U-L-A-A-E-R-I-A-L-S.com. Um, and I don't know if you'll have it in the show notes or whatever. Oh, but, absolutely. <laughs> um, as well as you can contact me directly. Um, my name is Todd Moen. Actually, if you don't know how to spell the last name, it's M-O-W-E-N, like Moen the lawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, that's what it is on uh, Instagram. Um, as well as Sula Aerials on Instagram as well. So those three places, um, you can always DM me if you have a question um, or go on there and shoot me an email. Yes, yes. And then um, I guess it's my turn. Ladies and gentlemen, you can hear every episode of Finding Arizona Podcast at our website, findingarizonapodcast.com. We make it easy for you guys to connect with us. So all of our social media handles is Finding Arizona Podcast. Uh, Let us know who you want to hear next. Todd here is always available too to come back. So if you want him to come back, we're always happy to have him on board. And last but not least, if you want to check out some of our bonus content, patreon.com slash Finding Arizona Podcast is where you'll go for that. And we say goodbye to all of you listening and goodbye to Todd here for coming on board. Thank you so much again, Todd. Let the people hear it from you or say goodnight to them. Good night and thank you. Take thank care. you. Take care. Bye-bye.